when term begins properly next week, we're going to start Matthew's Gospel, or rather pick up where we left off at the end of last year. But the last two or three weeks, we'll be looking at Psalms 45, 45 and 46. So I'm going to read this morning from Psalm 46 and verse 1. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alameth, the song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Let's pray. (coughs) Our Father, uh, your words are sweet as honey and more valuable and precious than silver and gold. And so we pray as we hear them again this morning, uh, that we would treasure what you have to say to us by your Spirit, and rejoice in the good things that you bring us. Feed us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw an article just the other week in the press uh, that said that bunkers, sales of bunkers, have gone up 700% since Donald Trump took power. Now, by bunkers, I mean those, those kind of nuclear shelters that you can have put in your backyard. Well, if you're very rich, you can have put in your backyard. Some of them are pretty simple. You might have seen them. They're like a kind of, essentially like a metal tube that gets buried in the garden. Some of them are fantastically ornate. Apparently, Bill Gates uh, has one in every single one of his properties dotted uh, around the world. I guess the fear is there, isn't it? The fear is that, that one day... They'll need a safe space to run to. One day, at their own homes just, just won't be good enough. We long to be safe, don't we? We long to feel at home. I wonder if I was to ask you this morning, how safe do you feel? What you might say. I guess many of us would say, well, it's fine, to be honest. It's sort of okay. We, I guess most of us had the privilege of living a lot of our lives in a country that has not been torn by war. We don't fear a raiding party or terrorist attack. There are no animals in the UK that eat you or bite you, are there? It's a source of much disappointment to lots of kind of the Aussies who come over and visit. Our animals are so boring. They do nothing to you. I love it. It's great. Anywhere you go in the country, nothing's going to poison you. Nothing's going to eat you. We live on the whole in a pretty safe country. A few years ago, quite a few years ago now, when I was at university, I experienced an earthquake, a UK earthquake. And it must have lasted about 10 seconds. My, my cupboard shook a little bit. A couple of things fell off the shelf, and that was it. Uh, this morning, there are churches in Florida that are cancelling their services for fear 
of the hurricanes that are about to arrive. We're fantastically blessed, we're very privileged in many ways, that we live, on the whole, in the UK, in a pretty safe environment. And yet, I wonder how safe we actually feel. But for others of you here this morning, there might be circumstances in your life that make you feel far from secure. You feel vulnerable, nervous, anxious. Uh, perhaps you're new to the, to the city, you've moved away from home for the first time, uh, or just changed job or studying, whatever it might be, and actually you're, you're suddenly in an environment where you have no support group of friends, particularly. Uh, you've moved from, from home. Uh, you don't know the streets, the shops, the people, and you just feel vulnerable. Uh, perhaps you've been hit by tragedy recently, and just some of those support structures have crumbled away. And now you don't know where to turn in a crisis. So although you might feel physically safe, you still feel, well, vulnerable. This psalm, Psalm 46, was written so that God's people could sing to encourage one another that whatever the circumstances of their lives, they were still secure. Look down with it at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The forces against me out there in the world might look too strong, but God is a refuge, a safe place, a fortress, a bunker. I might feel weak, and those against me might look strong, but God, verse 1, is our strength. So this morning, I want to ask three questions. I want to ask, how can we be safe in what is ultimately a dangerous world? We're then going to think about where God keeps us safe. And finally, how we can be sure of the safety that he promises. So let's ask that first question. How can we be safe? We look at the first three verses of the psalm really here. How can we be safe in this dangerous world? And pretty obviously, the answer is there right in verse one. God is our refuge and strength. Children, a refuge is a kind of safe place. The psalmist is, is kind of saying that God is like a, a castle or a fortress. Uh, perhaps, children, you visited a, a castle somewhere else in, in England. Leeds hasn't got a particularly great castle, has it? I don't think, unless I've missed it. But around the country, there's some pretty impressive castles, strong fortresses. If you look down at verse 7, you'll see exactly that language. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then exactly the same uh, sentence is repeated at the end. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's the kind of chorus of the psalm. Psalms are songs, children, as you might know. And the chorus that comes back at the end of each section is the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's like a, a nuclear bunker. Okay? He's the place you can go that is utterly indestructible. Think of those films like sort of Lord of the Rings where you know, the baddies are coming and where do all the people flee? They flee to, I think it's called Helm's Deep, is it? That big fortress. They all get behind the huge walls, the towers. They pull up the drawbridge and they are secure, solid as a rock. Children, think even just of the, uh, the little kind of stories you learn when you're even younger than you are now. Remember the story of the three pigs. You know, one builds a house of straw, another one a house of sticks and one a house of bricks. When the big bad wolf comes, two go down, but one stays strong. 
We long for somewhere to be safe and secure. And the psalm tells us it is in God alone that we find it. And therefore, verse 2, we don't need to be scared. We don't need to fear. Wouldn't you love to have a life free from fear? Wouldn't you love to live not trembling at what tomorrow might bring? Not afraid of anyone or anything out there in the big bad world? We, we like to pretend we're strong people, we're tough people. It's seen as a sort of valid thing to be able to stand on your own two feet, uh, look into the face of adversity and stand bravely. But if we're honest, I think all of us at some level are scared. We're scared about losing some things. We're scared, well, we're scared that we might not make it. Uh, we're scared in particular when our world just falls apart. Do you see the language of verses two and three down there? It's, well, it is exactly that language of the world falling apart. We won't fear, verse two, although the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. I think the, the picture language there is, it's a bit like the, the first chapter of the Bible when God makes the world. You remember, children? God makes the world and he makes things in order. And, and the seas there, it's sort of chaotic at first, and then God brings the seas out, and then from the sea emerges the land and up come the mountains. And in verses two and three, it's like, it's like someone's filmed God making the world and press rewind, and we watch it backwards. The world is falling apart. The earth gives way. The mountains, they fall back into the heart of the sea. And then the sea becomes this kind of chaotic mess again. It's picture language, but it's picture language we use, isn't it? Have you ever said to someone, it's like my whole world has just fallen apart? Or maybe you've never dared say it, but you've felt it. That's what the psalmist is saying. The, the, the world has fallen apart for him. And yet still he knows still they know as they sing that God is that safe place, that fortress, the bunker that cannot be stormed. Why? Well, because God is more powerful than anything in creation. Many things are more powerful than you and me. We can't conquer disease. We can't conquer death. We can't control our circumstances and other people. There's very little, in fact, that we are fully masters over. But nothing and nobody can challenge God. So with God on your side, you are unconquerable. You're safe. And that's why it's no use looking elsewhere. As, as human beings, because we, whether we admit it or not, deep down we sense our vulnerability. We, we run around looking for other fortresses. We build, like children when they get kind of boxes and they build little sort of forts. My kids love doing this at the moment. You pile things up and make a little house, a little den, a little fortress, a little castle. But ultimately they're just cardboard. You can give it a kick and it, down it falls. Not that I do that. So we look to our, our homes perhaps as our fortresses. Uh, we, however bad life gets, we know at the at the weekend, we can go home to, to mum and dad. Okay, they might be miles away, but at least there is a safe space. If work's been a nightmare, if our relationships are falling apart, well, at least I've got a safe space back with mum and dad. Or we look to, to a relationship. I'm safe because, because he's here. We talk, don't we, about people being our rock. You know, mum, you're my rock. I can always rely on you. Oh, my girlfriend, she's my rock. 
Again, we build these little fortresses that we build up money and talk about it as a safety net. Have you bought up a, piled up a sort of a stockpile for a, a rainy day? But the problem is all these things are just children's fortresses. They're not really strong and secure. They can't actually conquer all that comes at us. When the waters really rise, well, money's not going to pay your way through death. Well, when illness strikes, it doesn't matter how loving and caring the person holding your hand is, they cannot carry you through. When I was little children, I went on a kind of a summer holiday club and we, we had a bouncy castle. Okay, and I was playing on this bouncy castle. I was probably about six, I imagine. I was bouncing away and suddenly the whole thing went pop and collapsed in on me. Okay, me and a couple of friends, and we got buried in this bouncy castle. One minute, it was this beautiful, I can still see it now, it was red and yellow and green, it had these castle turrets in the corner, a big archway to get on, it was brilliant. I was having a great time. One minute it was there, and the next minute, bang, and it collapsed in on us. When we go any, to anywhere else, or anyone else for security as our fortress, it's like we're hiding in a bouncy castle. It, it might look great for a moment, it might provide fun, it might provide a degree of shelter, Safe homes are a good thing. Relationships are a good thing. It is sensible. In fact, the Bible encourages us to build up wealth, to be able to care for ourselves. But if we trust in them, the thing that's ultimately going to carry us through life and death, we're trying to hide in a bouncy castle and one day, pin's going in and it's going to burst. Only in God, says the psalmist, only in God can we be safe because only he is stronger than everything. But, but where does God keep us safe? If, if God says, look, I will keep you safe, God, a person, is the one who keeps us safe, how does he do it? Where do we go? Well, let's look at verses four through seven and try and, we'll try and spot the clues. Jordan, if you've ever followed a treasure map, you might know that sometimes there are clues that lead you to a certain place. So if I was to say to you, okay, I'm thinking of a city and the queen lives there and there's a river that runs through the middle of it called the Thames, where would I be thinking of? London, that's right. That's right, London. And the, the psalm gives us some clues, three main clues, I think, as to this place that God keeps us safe. Uh, first of all, if you look at verse four, we find out that it's a place where God lives, a city where God lives. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation, just means the home, really, of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. Okay, this is a place where God lives, a city where God lives. Now, there's no name given, is there? The psalmist doesn't say it's the city of Leeds or uh, London. But if we were to read a couple of psalms onwards, we'd see that this city does have a name. Look at verse 48, sorry, Psalm 48, and the first couple of verses. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, Psalm 48, verse 1, in the city of our God. There's the city again, the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth, Mount Zion in the far north. This city is the city of Zion. Now, Zion's just a, another name. It's a kind of poetic name for Jerusalem. Sometimes if you read uh, maybe plays from a few hundred years ago, England is called Albion. In Shakespeare, sometimes he'll talk about Albion rather than England. It's the same place, just a more poetic name, Zion and Jerusalem are the same place. Zion is the kind of poetic name 
So, so this place where God keeps the psalmist safe, the first clue, it's where he lives, and it's, it's Jerusalem, or Zion. But there are some more clues. It also, do you see, has a river, verse 4. There's a river. And this river brings joy. It makes glad the city of our God. Somehow the river that runs through the city of Zion or Jerusalem where God lives makes people happy. It's a life-giving stream. And then thirdly and finally, in verse 5, the final clue as to, to where this place is, well, she shall not be moved. It is an unconquerable city child. I wonder, children, if you've read these. I a child who used to read the Asterix books or listen to the Asterix stories. Asterix was a little uh, uh, Frenchman back in the day of the Roman Empire. And when the Romans conquered all of France, there was one little village they couldn't conquer. It was a village of Asterix and Obelix. They had a magic potion that meant they were never beaten up, never conquered. It's not true, by the way, if you're doing history at school. It's a made-up story. But there was this one place that never, never lost a war, never got conquered, was never moved. And this city, uh, in verse 5, is like that little, little village in France. It is unconquerable. And interestingly, everything around it does fall apart. Uh, the same word, is, it's, it's lost, unfortunately, in, in, in the ESV, which is the translation we've got on our, uh, our laps this morning. But the same word is used in verse 2, 5, and 6 about different things. In verse 2, do you see that the mountains, halfway through verse 2, the mountains are moved into the heart of the sea. So the mountains move. In verse 6, you'll see the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. It's the same word, actually. Move, totter, tremble. So, so that the mountains move, the physical world is shaking and falling apart, the kingdoms, the political world is shaking and in turmoil. But again, same word right in the middle of verse 5, she, the city of God, will not be moved. The physical world might crumble, the political world might be in turmoil, and we've seen that enough this week, haven't we? But this city is never moved, never shaken, stands solid and undefeated. It might look bad for the city at times. Do you notice that? When does God help the city? Did you see the, that little clue? God will help her when morning dawns. During the night, it looks like the city is being besieged. It's going to be defeated. It's going to be conquered. Again, if you've seen those kind of Lord of the Rings, you know, the, the armies come and attack and attack. But in the morning, God says he'll help. So if you were a Israelites singing this song, you would think of Jerusalem, the literal city. But that's not much use for us now. Okay. However many, probably about 3,000 years after this psalm was written, that the psalm is not telling us that if we want to be safe, we have to go to the literal city of Jerusalem. So where is the place that God keeps us safe nowadays? Well, let's think about those three clues. And keep us a finger in Psalm 46, because we're going to be back there. But come with me right to the last chapter, or the last but one chapter of the Bible. The book of Revelation. And chapter 21. Revelation, the final book of the Bible. Chapter 21 is the second to last chapter. And as we go towards the end of the Bible, we're also going towards the end of time. The Apostle John, who wrote this book of Revelation, is given a, a vision, a picture uh, of what's going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet. And just, just look what he says. And remember those three clues. We're looking for a city 
called Jerusalem, where God lives, where there's a river that brings great joy, and, and, and where, well, it's utterly unconquerable, indestructible. Verse 1 of chapter 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with women, they, they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. John is looking forward to the end of time, and he sees a new city called Jerusalem. Here's Jerusalem again, but it's not the literal city anymore. He's talking in picture language. And and this city, this Jerusalem, well, who lives there? God lives there. There's our first clue, our first match-up. Behold, verse 3, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. It's told time and time again, this new Jerusalem, that's where God lives with his people. It's also indestructible. There are no enemies there. Do you see verse four? God has wiped away every tear. There's no more mourning. We don't cry anymore or grieve over death because death has been conquered. If we'd read the earlier chapters, we'd see that death itself is sort of pictures of a person almost and is thrown away into the garbage, no longer to be able to kill. There's no more pain. Disease has gone. There's no more crying. No longer are people anxious, depressed, scared. Anything that makes us cry, again, is thrown away in the garbage. They've all passed away. This is an unconquerable city. No enemies. Nothing can bring harm to you if you live in this city. And then thirdly, there there is a river again. There's a, a little hint about it. Uh, In verse 6, there's this spring of water without payment. But if you look down at chapter 22, we see more detail. Chapter 22, verse 1, the angel showed me the river of the water of the life, bright as crystal, sorry, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There's a river, a river of life uh, that brings joy to the people, it brings healing to the nations, bright as crystal shining. It's a spectacular river. Now, when when John writes, he he writes in picture language, but he's writing about what God will do one day when he comes, or sends the Lord Jesus back, to renew the whole earth. It's a day that, that hasn't yet arrived, but it is a day, the breaking of dawn, that ushers in a whole eternity of security. All the promises of Psalm 46 will be finally true when that day comes. One day there will be a whole new world where there will be nothing to fear. One day there will be a whole new world where there's nothing but joy. This river will bring joy to everybody. 
one day we will be totally safe. We will be at rest. So if you're, if you're struggling at the moment, that is not the reality of your life from now onwards. We do walk in the valley. There are times when we fear. And frankly, there's nothing that we can do in the world to get rid of that, if we're being really honest. But it will end. Part of the Bible's message is hold on. The Lord Jesus will return. He will take you safely home. But what about now? It's all very well to say, well, there was a city in the Old Testament, Jerusalem, where you you could be secure, and there will be a city in the future, this wonderful new world that God will, will create. But what about us living in the middle now? Is there anywhere safe to run to? Oh, yes, there is. T- turn back just a, a few books in the Bible, to the book of Hebrews. Sorry for dotting around so much this morning, but it sort of sometimes happens when you look at the Old Testament. You need to see how the, the themes develop there come to fullness of light in the news. So Hebrews chapter 12, page 1009. Hebrews chapter 12. I don't know if you noticed in Revelation that when the New Jerusalem came down, she was dressed like a bride. The New Jerusalem wasn't actually just a, a physical place, it was a people. Okay, people. In other words, it was God's church. And, and Hebrews picks that up. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, look down with me at verse 22. Uh, but you have come, you have come to Mount Zion. And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. But there's loads in there that we can't dig into this morning. But you see what, what, what the writer is saying? You have come to Jerusalem already. You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. You're there already. If you're a Christian, he's writing to Christians. He's saying, as it were, you're already safely home. He's talking really about the the church. If you put your trust in Christ, you've died for your sins, you're therefore a part of the church, his family, you are already in God's city. Okay, it's not a physical place. You can't put the city on a map, as you could have done in the Old Testament. But it is the place where God keeps us safe. The three clues are there again. Uh, God is there. We've come to God. Uh, It's indestructible. Look at verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Earth trembles, politics in turmoil, but the kingdom, the church, cannot be shaken. And, And it's strengthened, well, it's strengthened ultimately by the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't something, to be fair, that Hebrews 12 picks up. But what about that river? Remember, the first clue was that God lived there. Well, that's true of the church. God dwells in us. We're the temple of his Holy Spirit. As Hebrews 12 said, he's with us. We're here now. We can't be shaken. It's indestructible. What about the river? Final jump, I promise you. He, uh, John 7. John 7. John's Gospel uh, on page 893. Where's this river? Page 893. John 7. And Jesus speaking, verse 37, page 893. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living 
water. Believe in me and out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. What's he talking about? Well, John explains, verse 39. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. That the living water picture in the Old Testament, Jesus said, was a picture of the spirit. And children, it's obviously not that you're full of water when you believe in Jesus, is it? But Jesus pours his spirit into you when you put your trust in him. And he gives you life, joy. The, the city of God, for now, the place of safety where God secures us, where we meet his spirit, where we meet him, and are strengthened by these life-giving waters, is, is the church. Not the building, but the people. Uh, that is the place that God looks after us now. In fact, it was always the place that God looked after his people. Interestingly, Jerusalem didn't actually have a river. So Psalm 46, which talked about this river, there, was no, there is no river. There was no river in Jerusalem. It was always a kind of picture of something greater. It is in the church that God keeps us safe. It's in the church that God feeds us, strengthens us with this life-giving water. It's in the church that God meets us. And that's why in many ways Christianity is it's a team sport, not an individual sport. Now sometimes people are... Maybe they become a Christian in a country where there's no one else about it. It's not that we, you can't be a Christian on your own ever, but rather the main way that God cares for us, the main way we meet God, the main way the Spirit works is in the body. The people gather together. That's why it's so hard to be a Christian on your own and so important that you become part of a church. Because it's in the church gathered together primarily that we experience the presence of God and the security of God. We're reminded of his care for us and meet the Spirit as he works uh, through God's people. It doesn't look very impressive, does it? The church does not look particularly impressive, particularly in England at the moment. That's actually a theme that's been going through the three Psalms we've seen, Psalm 44, 45, 46. In Psalm 44, a couple of weeks ago, we we saw that the people were desperate, saying, look, Lord, we're trying to be faithful, but no one's listening to us. You know, as your people were being attacked and you never rescue us, we're not being particularly sinful, we're not being particularly disobedient, but God, wake up, where are you? Often it looks like the church is frankly a bit weak, a bit rubbish, unimpressive compared to the world around. So, so this city that we dwell in now, as we wait for the final day, might not look fantastic always. We might not always come to church and on a Sunday, for example, and feel that like we've, we've encountered God, that the Spirit is just working spectacularly in us. Now, the Spirit is always at work, whether we sense it or not, but we sometimes don't feel that. So how can I be sure? Well, let's finish where we began in Psalm 46, page 478. How can I know? Verses 8 through 11, just briefly. See the command? Come, verse 8, come behold the works of the Lord, how he's brought desolations on the earth, he's made wars cease, he breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariots. That the command is come and see. Come and see how God has finished off his enemies, broken their enemies, snapped their machine guns in two, okay, picked up their tanks and smashed them to pieces. It's likely the psalm is reflecting on a, a story we haven't got time to look at now in, in Two Kings, where, where Jerusalem is besieged. There's a guy called Sennacherib, a big enemy king. He's come to, to conquer Jerusalem, and all God's people are hiding behind the walls of, Mount, of Zion. And the, the big army tease them and say, look, tell you what, we'll give you to tomorrow morning, then we'll just trash your city. And as the people hide behind the walls, they pray. And overnight, without the people doing anything, God goes out and just 
defeats the army. And so when the people wake up in the morning and look over the, the ramparts, they see, in fact, the same language is used, behold, they see that God has conquered them, that their enemies are, are defeated. And as they come and see that God has defeated his enemies, well, then they have confidence to know that he is truly the place of safety and security. How do we do that? How do we come and behold now? Well, we can look through Scripture and we see the number of times God has rescued his people. But primarily, we, look, we do look to the cross. It's at the cross that Jesus defeated his enemies fully and finally. God defeated his enemies. The things that can really cause you damage in this life are, are your sin. Because sin corrupts us and takes us away from God. Ultimately, it takes us towards hell. Not security, but eternal terror rather than eternal peace and joy. Death which is the, the final falling of the sword where there is no second chance. That is our enemy. We can't conquer death, however good our medicine is. Well, at the cross, Jesus conquered both sin and death. He paid the penalty for our sin. He took our sin on his shoulders. And as he died, he did so under the wrath, the anger of God. In order that there was no more charges against you. But when Satan comes to you and says, how can a Christian like you, think the things you've thought? How can someone who turns up to church and sings Amazing Grace treat people the way you treated people? No true Christian would look at the kind of things you looked at this week. All the charges that come against you, Jesus says, I paid it all. No enemy can cut you off from God's city now. And as he gave himself to the grave and died, he then rose again and conquered death. So the two real enemies, sin and death, that could take you away from God's city have been conquered by Jesus, you put your trust in him, then that eternal city of rest will be yours. Your place in his church, what is open now? And that's why the call goes out, I think in verse 10 and 11, primarily to God's enemies, be still and know that I am God. It's not really telling us to kind of meditate and just, it's the kind of verse that appears on those horrible Christian posters, isn't it? With a little rainbow and a lamb galloping by a street, you know, be still and know that I am God, and I kind of sense it. It's, it's be still. It's like a teacher walking to the playground uh, as kids are fighting and saying, stop it, be still. God is saying to those who stand against him, stop it. So let me just ask you as we finish, are you safe? God wants you to be. One day his voice will rise and the earth will melt. One day his judgment against sin will come. All other shelters will fail you. But if you put your trust in Christ, he will keep you safe for that eternal city. And he'll keep you safe in the church until it comes. That's why we, we sing, so in a minute we're going to sing Psalm 46 or a version of it. We do so to encourage one another of this great hope and certainty we have. In the aftermath of the, the Twin Towers falling down September the 11th, there's a fascinating piece written by a, a Christian scholar. He said this, when the towers come down and the bombs fall, the worshippers' response to God will be shaped much more by the 3,000 songs he sung before than the three he sings the Sunday afterwards. God gives us the psalm. The psalm is a song. It's not just a series of things. You know, God is strong. God is powerful. It's a song. And God gives us the songs to sing to one another and to him before the towers fall. Because the songs we sing shape us. That is why we're trying to sing these psalms, even though they're not, I know they're not always the coolest and funkiest, and sometimes they pick bad tunes and all the rest of it. But they're the songs God gave us to sing to him to, to convince us that we will be safe. 
because in him alone is safety. I heard another minister a few months ago now talk about a time he was, uh, he was preaching abroad in Africa. He was captured by some criminals. They put a knife to his throat. And he thought, this is it. I'm never going to see my wife again. Never going to see my kids again. He said, the only thing that went through my mind was this, just round and round again. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I belong, that I'm not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. That's actually a question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. We, we said some of it earlier. It just went round and round in his head. He thought he was about to die, that the, the machete would is his throat. What is your only hope in life and death? That I'm not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. That is the promise of Psalm 46. And he is unshakably able to deliver. Let's pray before we sing this psalm. Our Father, we praise you uh, that you are a God who provides refuge, that whatever else conquers us in this life, you are unconquerable. We praise you that you have, in your Son, paid the price for all the things that might take us away from this city. And we pray now that you would fill each and every one of us in this room with a certain knowledge that Jesus is King, that he is with us, and that in him alone is safety and security. Father, we do fear, so strengthen our weak knees, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.